look, we're very, very excited about starting this series today called InstaFam, and that's just a cool name for a series where we're going to deal with marriage and family, raising kids and stuff like that. And uh, I love the subject of family and of marriage and of raising good kids. Come on. And I know that there's some negative things that transpire a lot of times in relationships because family, raising kids, and all that kind of stuff has everything whatsoever to do with relationships and how to keep those relationships right and, and strong and, and healthy. And so we're gonna hopefully deal with some of those things that, that'll help you. I believe that in this room, there's probably at least five people that need what I'm getting ready to say. Where are those five? Raise your hand if you, yeah, okay, I got five right there. That's cool, so I, I'll continue. And uh, so when we, when we talk about a family, we, we want to go to the very genesis of family because there's all kind of ideas out there today and some of them are very, very strong ideas about what family is and how it ought to act and all these things. And uh, I, I want to just let you know up front that I'm a Bible-believing guy. How about you? And so I have to go to the Bible. The Bible guides my life. It guides the principles that I live by. And so I, I embrace it as it is. Uh, I wanted to, uh, you know, go to the very, very beginning, the genesis of the family. And the only place I know to find that is in the book of Genesis, the very beginning of where God shows us what he wants to do. So uh, let's just look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. And here's where God said... Let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. So, so here is the very beginning, the Genesis where God says, I'm gonna create people that are like me and I'm gonna create male and female. And then in Genesis chapter two, takes a little bit further and here we see Adam has been created and God put him to sleep, took a rib out of his side. I know that sounds weird to some people, but that's the way God did it. I believe it exactly like that. And he made out of that rib, he made a woman and then he brings the woman to the man. Now heretofore, all the man has seen is scurrying animals on the, on the ground, dogs, crocodiles, I don't know, ostracists. And, uh, and he's trying to get a friend, but I mean, it's hard to be a friend with people like that. You know what I mean? So, so God brings him this woman he wakes up and he exclaims, this, is, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. He said, you know what? I'm gonna call her woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. You gotta leave, you gotta cleave. Man, you gotta leave mama, okay? And then in Genesis chapter four, God like uh, writes and shows us the fulfillment of this in that now Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. She gave birth to Cain, and when she, 
When she saw that, she said, with the Lord's help, I have produced a man. And later she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. So this is the genesis of family. And it shows us that God created man and woman. And then he said, I want you two to come together. I want you to be fruitful and I want you to multiply. And, and, and that is really God's perfect plan. That's what he really wanted. And we know that 6,000 years of problems and sin and all kinds of situations have kind of altered that plan for some. And, and there's all kinds of situations and we don't want to run from all the situations that we have. Uh, we have to deal with the situations that society brings. And, uh, and, and so we see that in this room, probably, there are probably five different types of families that are represented. It's probably like the nuclear family, we've coined that phrase, that uh, that would be mom and dad in the home with the kids. Two, three, four, five, eight, however many kids in the house, mom and dad and the kids. But then there's another family, and we call it, you know, and it's, it's true, it's the single parented family. Uh, that's where mom or dad are they're raising the children by themselves. And, and uh, that happens for various reasons. Sometimes death of a spouse, uh, divorce, other things, abandonment. There's all kinds of reasons when, when there's a single parent. And then, then there's what we call the third generation family. And that's where grandma and grandpa got their kids living with them and the grandkids. You know what I'm talking about? And that happens. Uh, uh, you know, you say, well, various reasons why. There can be financial reasons, there can be a location reason, there can be temporary, and it can be permanent sometimes. And, and then there's another type of family. The fourth is what we call the, the skip generation, and that's where grandma and grandpa are raising the grandkids, and mom and dad are nowhere to be found, again, for various reasons. Might be death of a couple, might be, you know, divorce, might be some kind of problems in there, and it could be temporary, it could be, uh, you know, continual. You never know. And then the fifth kind of family is where we have a single mom raising her kids and a single dad raising his kids, and then they get sweet on each other, and they merge the family together, and we call it a blended family. And every one of these families need help. Every one of them have situations. It's not like just because it's just mom and dad in the house with the kids that everything is on autopilot. And so... Uh, you know, we got all these different people uh, represented. And so today, now we're going we're gonna to deal with raising kids next week, but today we want to talk about marriage. Instafam, hashtag marriage. Because marriage is a big deal. And I want to preface this by saying that marriage is good and it's wonderful. Contrary to what you might hear or see or what others might say, look, I want to tell you something. Marriage is great. I love being married. It's wonderful. And so uh, you say, well, I do too. And I want to, or I want to get married. So you might be in here single and saying, I want to get married. Don't be afraid of it. It's good. It's real good. So, but, but I want to give you the definition of marriage right off the bat. So we'll kind of be all on the same page. And this is what it is. We're going to put it up on the screen for you right now. A marriage covenant is intended by God to be a lifelong fruitful relationship between a man and a woman. Marriage is a vow to God, to each other, come on, to our families and our community to remain steadfast in unconditional love, reconciliation, and sexual purity while 
purposefully growing in our covenant marriage relationship. So marriage is a big deal. I mean, it's got a lot to do with covenant, not contract. It's not just about signing a piece of paper. It's about absolutely coming together in a covenant relationship. And a covenant always costs somebody something. So that, that is really the framework of marriage. That's the definition. But then we want to go to the Bible, and I want to read out of the Bible for you what we call the, the marriage model. Because there has to be a, a, a standard, a, a, a model that we can look to. It's not all conclusive, but it, but it will help us to get some framework here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, the Bible says, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wife just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually loves, shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. As we are members of his body, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. I want to pray together with you right now. Father, I'm asking you, thank you for hearing us, asking you to really, Lord, to make things plain. Help me to explain things where it can be understood. And Lord, would you touch our hearts with your hand? Give us something special, Father. Open up our hearts that we might truly receive something today that helps us have a better marriage than when we got in this room. We thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So what I want to do in, in our normal fashion is, is give you some components of a, of a good marriage. Whether you've been married 50 years or you've been married 50 days, these are some components that will help you. And if you're in trouble, if there's a problem in your marriage, I believe that the Lord's going to put his finger on it today. And if you'll just be obedient to God, watch out, something good will happen, right? Now, if you're single in here and you say, well, this has nothing whatsoever to do with me, I want to let you know it has everything whatsoever to do with you because most everybody is going to get married and you will be one up on the guy sitting behind you who didn't know this and been married five years, okay? So here we go. You ready? When we think about the components of marriage, usually when we, when we think marriage, the first word we, we think of is love. I love you. You love me. Oh, how happy we will be. <laughs> Let's forget about love for, this, for the moment right now. Let's talk about what really makes a marriage. You ready? Commitment. Commitment. Man, say that word with me. Now say it with commitment. That's right. You see, commitment is a strong word. He says, you want to leave your mom and daddy 
And that's a problem with some. And you got to be joined to your wife. You can't be joined to your mama and your wife at the same time. Leave the mama at the house and build your own house and be committed to your wife and to your husband. See, commitment, what it's saying is I'm all in. With marriage, you got to be all in. You can't have one foot in and one foot out. You can't have some of your thoughts in and some of your thoughts out. You got to dive off in that baby like a cold swimming pool. No reservations. You can't be at the altar, you know, with your fingers crossed behind your back. It's all in, baby. Here we go. For richer or poorer, for richer or poorer, for poorer and poorer, and we're poorer, baby. (laughs) Baby, you didn't tell me how poor we were going to be. If I'd have known it was this poor, I don't know if I would have. But why does God demand so much commitment? Because, you know, you know why? Because I believe God is, is big into commitment because it has everything to do with his character. I think God is, 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 is in his character, he teaches us about, about commitment. And commitment, when I, when I hear that word, I think about honor, you know, honoring your commitment. I, I think about loyalty, staying true to your commitment. I, I think about longevity. Man, I don't like to make little short commit, commitments, you know? I mean, that's where we into that now. I, I figured that out. We like videos that last six seconds. We want to watch a program with no interruptions. You know, you know, we're into this get it quick and just get in, get out, you know? And some people get in a marriage quick and they get out of a marriage quick. You, you know what I'm saying? But longevity. When I think of commitment, I think, man, look, I'm committed to this thing. And then trust. Trust is so, so very important. You know, you know why trust is so big of a deal? You know why when, when trust is violated in a relationship, uh, people get so hurt and sometimes just get so, you know, uh, offended? And, because trust makes me vulnerable. When I trust you, when I'm all in with you, all my defenses are down. I'm in an embracing mode. I'm like, you know what? Uh, man, here I am. I've got... I've got nothing to hide. I'm all in. And if I'm violated, that really hurts a lot. That'll cause me to draw in until that trust is fixed. Look, it takes a long time to get somebody to trust you. And when you break trust, it takes a longer time to make it right. And if you break trust three or four times, you in for a long, hard road. You know what I'm talking about? So we want to make sure that we keep that commitment. Nothing about commitment. Commitment combats compromise. When you're fully committed to something, commitment says, I'm going to do what's right no matter what my spouse does. Commitment says, you know what? I'm not even going to look on the other side of the fence for greener grass. I'm going to fertilize my own. You start watering your own grass and you don't have to worry about the field next door. Your grass could be tall and green. The thing about commitment is, and I'm this way, like I'm an iPhone guy. I'm an Apple guy. iPhone, iPad, iMac. I mean, we, we, I, that's just what I am. When I found the iPhone, before the iPhone, it was Nikoa, Nikia, how do you pronounce that? You know, and then there was Motorola, and then there was Samsung, and I looked and I looked. But when I found the iPhone, one button, 
When I found the iPhone, I said, that's it. I don't even look at advertisements of other phones. When, when I find something that I really am satisfied with, that I really like, that does everything that I need done, I quit looking. That's why when I found my wife, I quit looking. The Bible says when you find a wife, you find a good thing. When you find a good thing, you don't need to be looking nowhere else for something. You got the good thing. Come on now. This is a good time for you to nudge your spouse and say, Hello, you good thing, you. Come on, I'm looking. You ain't doing it. Men, do it. Come on, do, do it, man. You, come on, you good thing, you. You good thing, you. I better say that. Commitment. Man, you got to say I'm all in. But then with commitment, there has to be something else. And there has to be love, folks. Come on now. You can't live with somebody you don't love. You say, well, I like him, but I don't love him. You gotta get that straight today. But not only love, let me, let me put an adjective in front of that that really gets it where it is. Unconditional love. Unconditional love says, you know what? I'm committed to this thing. I'm gonna do what's right, and I'm gonna love you like Christ loves the church. Now, in Ephesians 5, it kind of breaks out woman and man, woman and man. But, you know, really and truly, you need to wash it all together because a man needs to love his wife like Christ loved the church. But the woman needs to love her husband like Christ loved the church, too. We got to love each other, man. It's got to be unconditional love. And you know why? Now, if you don't get anything, get this. You have to give unconditional love because you need it yourself. You give it away, you need to receive it. You don't only need to just give unconditional love. Look, I need unconditional love too. And when we think about love, we always go in the Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You know what that's called, huh? That's called the love chapter. Anytime you, you just want it to, it's the love chapter. Baby, let's turn to the love chapter. But the love chapter, man, it starts chomping on you real good, real quick. Because this is what it says. It says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. This is the love chapter. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never fails, it never gives up, it never loses faith, it always is hopeful and it endures through every circumstance. Now let me put a little, let me just kind of talk about this because true love is selfless. And the thing that we don't want to do is we don't want to use this thing of unconditional love as a, as a tool of abuse or misuse. In other words, I don't want to say to my wife, well, you know what? I'm a rat, but you need to unconditionally love me. I'm just going to act the fool I'm just going to abuse you, but the Bible says you got to unconditionally love me. Let's not get over in that perversion, okay? Because this does not give you the right to do things that are not right. And then put it on somebody and say, you know what the Bible says? You got to love me. Look, if you have to tell somebody that, you're in trouble. If you got to, if you got to use the scripture to make your spouse come around, you know, in a way like, Oh my, help him Jesus, help her Jesus. But the thing about this thing of unconditional love is it has some components to it that we really need to start to apply. I think the first is that of consideration. 
I think because love is selfless, it, it, it exudes consideration for, for the spouse. Things like feelings and emotions. You know that not only women have feelings and emotions, but us guys, we got a little bit of feeling too and emotions. We're not as tough as you think we are. Behind this good-looking body, <laughs> this muscular physique, this intellectual mind, it's a small boy who has feelings also. And we feel, and women feel, and, 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 and we've got all this. I think we need to learn our spouses. I think we need to go to school. You should know your spouse well. I, there's a book out. It's been out for many, many years. Just a great book called Five Love Languages. I would, I would suggest you look at get, get the DVD. At least go online and look at the outline. But it, it just, it, it takes a person, and it helps you to decide what really makes you feel loved. What really makes you, you feel that way? You know, yours might be, you know, somebody does something for you. You know, a, a work of service. Or it might be words of affirmation. It might be physical touch. It might be, uh, you know, a gift. You know, some of you ladies, you get a gift, it's like, everything's fine, baby. You know, mine, I like words of affirmation. If my wife would just tell me you're all right, but boy, when she say I'm not all right, I'm like, oh, good, I'm no good, I'm trash. <laughs> you need to know your spouse. You need to be considerate of situations, daily situations. Look, man, life gets tough sometimes and the job gets hard and there's some things that transpire during the day when, when one of you gets home. You need to be considerate of the situation, how people feel, what time it is, what's going on, all the daily challenges that take place. I mean, if you're a stay-at-home mom and you got three kids and they about drove you crazy all day long, man, when you get home, dude, you need to be considerate of her situations. She hadn't talked to anybody that makes sense all day long. <laughs> I talked to my three-year-old granddaughter. I mean, we're just doing fine. All of a sudden, she takes a left-hand turn and wants to talk about, about, you know, Peppa Pig. I'm trying to have this intense conversation, leading and guiding her in the ways of God, you know? And it's like, Peppa Pig fell off his car. <laughs> you know, it's like, give me a break. Listen to that all day. It'd be good to talk to an, an adult. Seasons of life. Look, there's all kinds of seasons of life. I know that we all think we're going to stay young and beautiful and all that. But as you, if you into this thing for the long haul, you're going to find that things change in relationships. Things change in our physical makeup. Even some of our characteristics change as we get older. And we've got to be considerate of the seasons of life. And we definitely need to be considerate of personalities. I think one of the major problems in marriage today is that people don't know each other and they keep trying to change each other. Your whole quest in life is not to change your spouse into what you want them to be because you'll be living with yourself. And let me tell you something, living with you is tough. So, you know, your quest in life is not, if she would change, then everything would be all right. You need to know, I suggest to every married couple in here that you take a personality test with your, with your spouse. You can go online, there's a gazillion of them. Uh, you know, there's all kinds that you can take. If you pay for some of them, they're much better than the freebies, but at least the freebies will let you know, wow, we are different. Oh, I see why we fight about this. Oh, I see what's wrong here. If you'll go to work and study each other through personality profiles, you'll find some amazing things. Now, you need to pray for one another, but I tell you, sometimes you just need to know each other. And sometimes the banner comes down, you know, the weapons are dropped and things change. And talking about dropping the weapons, we need to forgive because unconditional love is constantly forgiving and forbearing. 
You know, it's one thing to forgive that guy that cut out in front of you in traffic and busted up the fender on your new truck. He's just going to do that one time. But when you're in a marriage and you have to get, you know, forgive two times or five times or 500 times, you need the grace of God operating in your life because that's what it's going to take. Because no matter how hard we try, we just make mistakes in our marriages at times. Some of them are little and some of them are really, really big. Either way, they still afford the same thing, forgiveness and forbearance. I've decided that I'm going to put up with my wife as much as she puts up with me. How's that? And that's a tall order. But you have to do that. You have to realize that the daily aggravations of life can be dispelled by forbearance and forgiveness and also unloading your weapon of offense. And then this thing of unconditional love, you know, it clings to hope. We just read that it never gives up. It never loses faith, that it's always hopeful and that it endures through every situation and every circumstance. Real unconditional love does that. It disarms everything and says, you know what? I need it, so I'll give it. And if both do that, things change. So there's commitment, there's unconditional love, and then there's this thing of mutual submission. And submission is a weird word that most people don't like to use today because some folks have really messed it up and misused it, but it's a Bible word, it's a God word, it's a good word. Submission, mutual submission. We, we just read it says, submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. It means placing yourself under one another. For order's sake. Saying, you know, Lord, because we want things in order, we're going to come underneath each other. And you know, it, when that happens, mutual submission, a lovely thing takes place. I tell you, a lot of your arguments will stop if you submit one to another and if you have the proper fear of the Lord operating in your life. What does this mean, submission? What does it mean to wives? We just read what it meant. What it means is that you're to submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, now, wives, listen to me. You need to submit to your husband and not somebody else's husband. You don't, you don't submit to the character of the man you work with down the hall. He's not your husband. You don't let him have more influence in your life than your husband. You submit to your husband as you submit to the Lord. If there is a problem in submission a wife to a husband, usually it's an indicator that there's a situation with her relationship with Jesus. Because it says that we are to submit to our husbands as we do to the Lord. So the same principle that you apply on submitting to the Lord, you apply submitting to your husband. It's a wonderful thing to take place. In Genesis, right after he created Adam and Eve, and then they fell into sin, in Genesis chapter three, God spoke to, to Eve. He said, come here, girl. Oh, I'm going to talk to you. He said, now, because this took place, there's a curse. And in part of that curse, this is what you're going to want to do. Hey, Eve, you're going to want to get one up on your husband, Adam, over here. I'm dealing with him. Don't worry. He's going to work hard. But you are going to try to rule over your husband. And he said, you know, I don't want you to do that. That's exactly what he said. He said, you, because of this, you're going to want to rule over your husband. And it might be because he should have stopped her from doing that. I think she would probably submitted to him if he said, hey, Eve, whoa, whoa with the, whoa with the fruit here. Whoa with, get away, God said, but he didn't do that. And so maybe she comes down and says, he doesn't know what he's doing. Now we got this big problem. I think I'm going to be the boss now. 
And God said, that's not what I want. That's not in my perfect will. That's not what I want. The disclaimer for you ladies is this, because sometimes men say, you and listen to me. You never have to submit to your husband if what he's asking you to do is immoral, illegal, or unscriptural. Very important. In other words, scripturally, if he wants to get you tied up in a bunch of crazy teaching that's weirded out, you don't have to submit to that. If he wants you to do something illegal, come on now, like cheat on your taxes or whatever, say, babe, I, don't, I ain't got nothing to do with that. And, and if he wants you to go rob the corner store tomorrow night at 10, because the rent's due, just say, baby, we out. And we ain't taking the kids with us either. You don't have to do that, you understand? That, that's just a disclaimer to help you. But, but here's one thing, ladies, that, that I would say to you. Let me give you four words here real quick that I believe will kind of bring things into focus for you concerning your husband. Let's try to honor him. Let's try to, let's try to honor our husband, okay? And, uh, you, you know, it, it, to respect him for Christ's sake, for order's sake. You see, we're all equal. There's neither Greek nor Jew. There's neither male nor female in the kingdom of God. What God was saying there in the word was that we're all equal in God's eyes. But for order's sake, he puts the man as head of the woman, as covering, protector, provider, responsible one, not boss man. You know, kick the dog if you want to kick somebody. You know what I mean? For all you dog lovers, don't kick him too hard. You know, just kind of move him out of the way. But watch this. You have to be the head. You are the responsible party. If there's something going down in the marriage, check yourself first. But, but wives, honor that man. Respect him. And then encourage him. Look, he, he needs encouragement. He, in his leadership potential, you know, speak words of encouragement to him. And you will be amazed at what will happen when you encourage him. And, and then you want to listen to him. Now, now, not necessarily listen like you better listen to me, but listen to his dreams, listen to his fears, listen to his doubts. You know, there are times where Jan and I are in our house by ourselves and I say, baby, I'm getting ready to tell you something right now. I'm not going to tell anybody else, but just, this is just, I want to tell you. And I'll share my fears with her. I'll share my doubts about things with her. That's, I do that. I don't know if you do that or not, but I do that. It's like, maybe I'm not sure I know what to do here. You know what I'm saying? I'm just vulnerable. I mean, I don't know everything. And so I'm just sharing these things. So, so I like when she listens to me. I love that when she listens to me and even lets me vent sometimes. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, let it loose. And, and she takes it pretty good. After a while, it's like, all right, turn it off. <laughs> and, and then, women, you, you need to put up with him. Come on, put up with this guy. He might be a mess right now, but put up with him. Stay in there, stay committed. Now, now if we put all these four together, watch what it looks like. Throw it at H-E-L-P. We need help, women. Come on, help me out, women. Do we need help? We need help. We need help. Man, let me teach you something right now. Let me teach you three little phrases. Use them often. Just, just when there's a problem, just say, I'm wrong. I'm sorry. I need help. Somebody after the first service told me, said, you know, the first letters of those three is I, I, I. He said, I, I, I. So it's, I, 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 I mean, we need help. 
Man, don't hurt us. Help us. You know what I'm talking about? I need help. I need help. Now, for the husbands, this thing of mutual submission, what does it mean to the husband? It means the husband is to love his wife like Christ loved the church. Now, listen to me, guys. You need to study your Bible to see what Jesus is doing for the church, and you need to apply that to your wife. I don't know about you, but I would like to see divorce lowered. I would love to see that stat go down. I don't know about the whole world, but how about in this church? We just hold that thing steady and let's get some more people married and sticking together. Watch this. You say, how do I, how do I love my wife like Christ loves the church? Well, he gave himself totally to her, so you give yourself totally everything. See, I don't own anything. Everything I have is my wife's and everything my wife has is mine. There's no separate checking accounts. There's no separate cars. There's no separate anything except those things that have to be separate if you know what I'm talking about. You know, this thing of my stuff, your stuff, that's mine, that's yours. No, no, no. The two shall become one. We're one person. And so we don't have any of that division among us. So how do we do this thing, men? I think, first of all, we need to comfort our wives. We need to comfort them in every emotional and physical situation that she finds herself in. Now, I'm not sure, but I think women are a little emotional. I mean, women, help me out. Am I, am I on the right track? You're kind of sort of a little bit emotional at times. At, 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 you know, and, and so when you're emotional like that and, and we think everything's going fine, we're like, hey man, it's a great day today. And, um, but th- that sound of those pots crashing in the sink, I'm not sure what that's about. And every door is slamming. And evidently it's not okay. Maybe there is an emotional situation here that we need to deal with. Because you know what? I find this. I sort of champion women because you women are tough. You go through stuff that we men don't go through. And I like men say, we had a little boy. What you did, bro? You, <laughs> you sitting out there, you got all white in the face, they had to take you outside, put you in a little wheelchair outside the room. You're so scared. You can't handle the crying and the screaming. It's let me out of here. And all the other things that women go through. You got like more organs than us or something. I mean, you know, the, the things and you happen and you deal with stuff, you know. I mean, like a guy's hormones, we ain't, I don't, we ain't got nothing to do. I don't know. If we, I mean, but women, like you got these things. I mean, am I right? I mean, don't stone me yet. But we, we have to comfort our wives. And not only that, we need to affirm our wives with life-giving words. We need to go ahead and speak words into their life that really, really matter, that really mean something. Not just, hey, baby, what's for supper or, or whatever, you know, hey, yeah, uh-huh. But we have to work at that because, men, we're, we're more of the animal type. We just grunt more. I mean, even little boys, they play, it's like, and little girls are going, oh, how are you? You're doing this so fine. Oh, you're feeling good today? So we affirm our wife with life-giving words that really build her up. Number three is that we have to reconcile. Now, men, listen to this. As the leader of your home, 
you need to work diligently to be the reconciler. And look, we know that we argue as, as spouses. You know, anybody says, we've never had a fight, not one fight in all of our life. I think you're like, I don't know. You're amazing, man. Please teach me. But isn't it amazing when we fuss that we go in separate rooms and we're like strangers? It's like you don't want to talk to them. It's like, oh, I guess I got to go in if somebody's got to go. And man, you need to be the reconciler. Let me tell you why. Because in the Bible, in Ephesians chapter four, it says, never let the sun go down on your anger, thus making a place for the devil. This thing of anger, hell, bitterness in relationships, in family, opens the door to demonic forces that are real, that have power, and that can wreak havoc within your marriage. So you wanna be the reconciler. It's not a matter of who's right or wrong. It's a matter that we get it right. Don't worry, you'll have ample time to be right. You'll have ample time to be wrong. But love does not keep track of things that were wronged. Love just doesn't do that. If you're keeping a little notch in the, in the wall there every time she offends you or he offends you, you need to go ahead and paint over that. The last thing we need to do, we need to edify our wives. We need to edify her and strengthen her and support her in all of her endeavors because some ladies want to do something more than just cook, cook gravy. You know what I'm talking about? They might want to be a professional lady. They might want to start a school. They might want to start a business of some kind. You've got to go ahead and edify them and build them up and strengthen them. I've known men who wouldn't, you know, their, their wife wanted to get an education and they were all against it. Their wife wanted to do something in the church and they're all against it. You know, don't do that. Man, look, fan the flame. Come on now. Let that woman be everything that she can be, you want to edify her, always aiding her in all of her pursuits. Now, if we put these four together, you see what we get? We get C-A-R-E. So men need help and women need care. And if we men will get help and we will care, guess what? She will then become the help meet or help mate that God talks about in the Bible. The Bible says, women, you are our helpers because we need it. But we are to care for you. And when we do this thing, when we get practical about what is going on, marriage works. Now watch this. I've been married 44 years, Dan. I've been knowing each other almost 48 years now, a little bit over 48 years. And marriage is, <laughs> marriage is great, but marriage is difficult sometimes. I mean, it takes a lot of work, but it's simple. You know, digging a trench with a shovel is hard work. I don't know if you've ever done it, but it's difficult. It's hard, but it's simple. I mean, it's like just stay in a straight line here, bro, and put the shovel in the ground with your foot and, and take out the dirt. Well, marriage really isn't complicated. What we do with marriage is complicated. And that's why the Bible teaches us that, that it is a great mystery. This thing of marriage is a great mystery. This thing of, of, of the illustration of the way Christ and the church are one, and then man and wife are one, it's a great mystery 
coming together, two people becoming one. It's, it's like a mystery. It's like, how can that work? And sometimes it gets difficult, but it's very simple. One heart, one mind, one life. One life, one wife. Come on. That's what the Lord wants in us. And that's what we have to work towards. Every one of you in this room that are married or will be married, you can have a healthy, successful marriage. And I believe it's very, very simple. I believe we need to submit to the Lord Jesus. That means you need to know the word of God. You need to be people of prayer. You need to be people who are totally committed to the kingdom of God. You need to be church people. That's how our marriage has stayed together and flourished. That's how our kids have been raised and we've been successful. And I think we need to submit to one another. Quit trying to figure out who's the boss man. You understand? You're a team. We want to win. It's not a matter. You know, there's no inner fighting. And, and then we need to work hard at establishing and maintaining a healthy marriage. Now, if we had about another four days to just stay here, we could just fully exhaust what marriage is and how to keep it healthy. But I want to give you some homework there. I want you to begin to give time to working on your marriage. I mean, read some books, watch some DVDs. Man, go to YouTube, it'll help you out. And start putting in something. If your marriage has been weak or you're becoming distant, talk about it, think about it, pray about it, study about it, and apply what you learn about it. You've got a long way to go. I'm looking at some of you. You're just starting your marriage. You're young people. You've got a lot of years left to stay married. You've got to raise kids. That marriage needs to survive the raising of kids. And then once they leave, it's got to survive the emptiness. And then it's preparing for the autumn and winter of the life. And it's got to make it all the way to the end so that it might glorify God in the end. Amen? Come on, let's bow our heads together right now. Father, I want to pray for the church, God. I want to pray for your people in this room who are married. I want to pray for the marriages, God. I'm going to ask you to really, really deal with us, God, and help us. Help us, Lord God, as we, as we just endeavor to be successful, to be healthy. Point out the things, Lord, that we need help at and give us grace and strength to continue to work at it, to trust you, to maintain a great reputation as married people. Thank you for dealing with that. As you, you're just in this room right now, if you're married, you might just want to grab the hand of your spouse right now and just begin to pray for one another and just, just let the Lord just begin to, this just few moments here. Some of you, you might be been in bad shape arguing and just, I mean, there's just division. You want to just go ahead and call a truce right now. This is where you start. Somebody's got to make the move. Just whisper in his ear or her ear and just say, you know what? Let's call a truce here. And while they're doing that, I want to speak to you in this room who your relationship with God, you, you've come into this place today and you're either not sure about it or you once had it and now it's not there. You might be like me, never had anything in God, but you're searching. You didn't just come into a church today simply to just sit in a chair. You came to church today to find God. And as you're sitting in there right now, you're sitting in that chair, 
alone with God. You say, I'm not right. My heart's not right. I know it. We want to remedy that right now by praying together. I want to pray for you right where you are. And this is all I'm going to ask you to do while every head is bowed and every eye is closed. I just want you to shoot your hand up, put it up high, and then put it right back down. Thank you for that hand, 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 hand. Yes, hands, hands, yes, hands. Thank you. Thank you so much. Just give it a moment for people because the decision seems so difficult, but once you make it, it's so wonderful. Anybody else? You haven't raised your hand. If you haven't, just shoot it up. Put it back down if you have not. Anybody else? Thank you so much. Yes. Right now, let me pray with you. God's listening to you. Your heart is open. You say, I need a change. Repeat these simple words after me. Say, Father in heaven, would you forgive me of my sin? I have been separated from you, but I want to be one with you now. I receive Jesus as my Lord and as my Savior. And I will serve you all the days of my life. Today I make a commitment to you. And I ask you for grace to finish it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, Northwood. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you later. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote, wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.